Happening now, we want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Assistant Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school that is housed on the University of Montana campus. And I'm joining you tonight, or at least when this is being recorded tonight, from Missoula, Montana, which is where our offices um, are, are housed. And I am joined tonight, as always, by Dr. Wes Fryer. Good evening, Wes. How are you doing this evening? Good evening. I am well and ready to ooze excitement for Google goodness. I think we will probably do that the entire evening so people can just get ready. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, well, uh, first I should say that um, in the ongoing uh, Montana weather uh, part of our show, um, snow is starting to fall across the state of Montana. We're less than a month a month past uh, fires, the, the worst fire season in, in recorded Montana history. And now over the weekend, there was at least three, three cities I know of. One, a friend of mine that lives in south central Montana had a foot of snow on the ground that snowed overnight. I think it was on Sunday night or maybe Monday night. And while Missoula has not yet seen snow, um, it's been cold. So the morning getting up 30s, low 40s has been our overnight low. <clears throat> So we're definitely experiencing um, uh, the interesting shift in Montana weather as it happens here. So how's the weather tonight in your neck of the woods, sir? It was raining pretty hard uh, today. We're we're still, you know, hanging on to a little bit of uh, of summer warmth, humid. So, uh, you know, it's it probably 70s and 80s, but it rained hard. I think we got three inches of rain today, which is unusual for us. And so... Um, you know, it probably, in addition to our little weather weather updates, um, I just watched about the first 18 minutes of the, the Google Keynote. I, I read a bunch of articles, and um, I'll mention, I actually, I used the Apple TV app TechCrunch, made a little playlist for myself, and as I folded clothes, I was <laughs> watching, you know, six of their videos, you know, kind of highlighting some of the big things. But uh, Sundar Pichai did start, uh, you know, just talking about how horrific the news has been this week from Las Vegas, from, you know, all the, all the, the hurricanes, you know, it just, it's been, it's burden. It's been tough. Uh, he didn't mention Montana and the fire. So I do want to ask, you know, and for people who don't know, Montana has had a, just a terrible, terrible fire year and the state budget was decimated by many more thousands of dollars being spent. Uh, any updates on budgetary, uh, support from the government or for the feds or from anything? And what, what's the, the quick update there? Well, it's interesting. Um, I ended up not watching the Google uh, presentation today because I was watching a stream of the Montana Senate Finance and Claims Committee, who is dealing with these very issues right now. And it looks like several state agencies are going to have to take uh, a it's like a 9.4 percent cut uh, of this year's budget. So the budget cycle that we're in. Um, four months in already, we might have to take a different cut, which would also impact my program as well. So uh, we're watching it very carefully. It's not an ideal situation. Uh, we're hoping that the state um, or the governor calls a special session to talk about revenue enhancements to deal partially with the sting of the extraordinary cuts. But the uh, thing I was watching today was uh, hundreds of people testifying uh, against cuts uh, across uh, state service programs, health and human service programs, uh, criminal justice programs, education programs, including mine, um, all are up for uh, a pretty significant cut. So uh, we, we've had budget uh, situations here anyways because of a decrease in overall revenues. That's, of course, 
very complicated by the fact that we had, again, the worst fire season um, in, in Montana recorded history. So, you know, not ideal, but you keep an eye on it and you roll with punches. Absolutely. Well, we do want to let everybody know that in addition to giving you life updates from the incredibly exciting world of Jason Neifer and the much less you know, exciting and somewhat more tame world of West Fryer. Uh, we are here to talk about ed tech news through a, well, actually technology news through an educational lens. Uh, and I have to say, Jason, as has been the case, having the show has made me much more attentive to news and uh, reading articles, and especially on a day like today, where we're going to do a show when there's a huge, huge event. And uh, for those of you who uh, may or may not have been catching our, our last few shows, you can always check out edtechsr.com to download audio and video versions. Check out the show notes by clicking the links icon. And we had all kinds of announcements from Amazon. And, and last week was sort of like the show of Will West buy it? No, he won't. As far as Amazon, I'll uh, forecast I might be changing my tune a little bit as a consumer with what was announced today. But huge announcements from Google. And then, you know, three weeks ago, we had big announcements from Apple. So... Are, are people gearing up for some kind of holiday season? Is is that what this is about, Jason? <laughs> I do think so. Yeah, the timing is is definitely in line of uh, with uh, picking up Christmas gifts in uh, November and December. And um, you know, I, I am I, I like that there are multiple ecosystems: Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google that are all putting together products that work well together. Um, I happen to think that most of these products do work well with one another as well. Uh, which is part of my shtick as I like to use products from different uh, different ecosystems and get them to work together and pleasantly. But um, uh, today's Google announcements were certainly interesting, and let's go ahead and jump in those now. So um, uh, Google is is now really trying to position itself as a hardware manufacturer to this point. Um, they had been largely a software company, um, ignoring the search uh, 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 products for a moment, and. As of late, they've been moving towards the notion of having Google, they call them made by Google products, but the reality is, is that up until very recently, Google really didn't have um, any, any engineers or staff or factories or even relationships in places where hardware is manufactured to say they made something themselves. And I think this event today is proof that Google is very much going in the direction of wanting to be a hardware manufacturer like Apple is right apple makes software but they also make hardware and those things are, are built to work together right one of the reasons why you don't run into a lot of compatibility problems with uh apple stuff is because they make the software and the hardware and what appears to be happening with what was announced today is that google is trying to fortify itself as a software company and a hardware company that's designing things to work tightly together and I'll mention, I've only, you know, been through 18 minutes of the actual Google keynote, but Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, said in his opening comments, in addition to echoing what he said at Google I.O. three months ago, that they are shifting from a mobile first to an AI first focus, looking at every product and every service that they do. He said, we know the best way to, you know, have a phenomenal user experience is to create both software and hardware. And, and I am paraphrasing, but that is a stunning statement because that yeah. is a statement that you would have heard Apple say from the beginning, you know, of the, of the jobs era, for, for just, you know, from the beginning of the beginning, was, was and jobs and everything. That's what Apple's wanted to do. They've always wanted to control both. So it's a big pivot for Google. 
And uh, I have to say, of the announcements that we've heard in the last three weeks, the Apple announcements, the Amazon, the Google, I am the most excited about what we heard today. I think there's some really, there's some really big stuff here. And I guess one of my thoughts is that you mentioned cross-platform compatibility. And certainly we at our school are a multi-platform diverse environment where we have a smattering of Windows PCs. We've got a large number of Chromebooks. We've got a smattering of iPads and, and lots of, uh, of Mac laptops. And, and obviously, you know, kids bring lots of things. I am sensing that we're really going to need to choose at home sort of who we will serve or what that's not the way to say it, but you know, you're going to, you're going to pick your platform. And I've, I'm really not that impressed with the new 4k Apple TV and, and what's been announced there. And I don't know, I guess my, my overall, and we'll get into the specifics with articles here is that, you know, artificial intelligence, if we truly are in, in the era of AI first instead of mobile first, the companies that are going to do the best are going to get the most data and they're going to be able to process the most data to allow machine learning and AI to, to work. I think Google and Amazon are the number one and number two best bets for that. You know, Microsoft and, and Apple are, are going to be chasing them, I think, because they're just not going to be able to have the data. Certainly with all the iPhones that are out there and all the folks, you know, that this is my smart device right now. It's, it's Siri. But um, I think the, the little bit I've seen of the keynote and all the products today, it made me think that we're, we're going to have to choose operating systems in terms of the home because I, I don't see, you know, the speakers and the, and the Chromecast and the things that, that Google's announcing. They're, they're not wanting this to play with, with an Apple world. So, yep. Well, let's, let's dig into the individual products then. So uh, obviously one of the headlines today was the release of the second generation of the so-called Pixel phone. Uh, Pixel is a, a name that has uh, was started off with a, uh, um, uh, uh, kind of an Android, almost Chromebook, uh, tablet uh, thing a couple of years ago. And for those of you unaware of the Android universe, uh, the Pixel phones were actually the second generation of Google-produced products. Their first generation of Google-produced phone products was called the Nexus line. And every year, Google would release a Nexus phone uh, the idea being that the Nexus phone was kind of a proof of concept of what Google thought a phone in that year should look like in light of the Android operating system. The last Nexus phone was the Nexus of 5P and 6P that was two years ago, so that was uh, 2015. 2016, the Pixel and the Pixel XL, and now the Pixel 2 and the Pixel 2 XL. The most interesting thing for me was that, and there's been a lot of commentary on this today, they decided to go with high-end specs, not the highest-end specs. And it appears to me, based on the pricing, and pricing starts at $649 for these phones, and I believe goes up to $899, and that includes for the, the Maxim Space Edition. There's a 128-gigabyte model and a 64-gigabyte model in both the 5-inch size and the nearly 6-inch size. The idea here is that they chose not to go with super high-end specs to keep the phone a little more reasonably priced. Um, and I was excited to see, for example, that the smaller of the two phones, the Pixel 2, was it's a 5-inch phone, but it's only 1080p, which I think is um, it's a brave choice in 2017 in light of how spec 
um, uh, dominant a lot of high-end phones tend to be. They want to focus on the newest chip and the highest resolution screens, but it's probably going to mean a, a serious savings in battery, li- battery life and was probably a lot cheaper to produce. So interestingly enough, um, obviously, Wes is an iPhone user. I am an Android user, so I'll start with you, Wes. Is there anything tempting to you about a Google Pixel phone in light of today's announcements? Absolutely. And, you know, it's the ecosystem that is attractive, not simply a single product. And I only I have a Google. What is it? A Nexus Nexus something tablet um, mm-hmm. that, I, that I played with. Yep. Yes. And and I do need, by the way, I, I need that advice on what what. Well, because it's not going to be a pixel, but, you know, a, a low end Android device to, to take to Egypt here in uh, a little over a month. Um, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm interested in it not just because of this one product, again, but because of the ecosystem, because of the functionality, and what I think is the most exciting product, which we're going to get to talk about, which has something to do with things that go in your ears. And you have to have a Pixel phone to do that. That is the most exciting thing of today, in my opinion. Yep. And then a couple things to note here about the phone. One of the the more controversial decisions is Google has gone away from a headphone jack, which means it is the second um, uh, uh, second major phone to to do that. Uh, there has been a lot of hand wringing on the part of folks. And, and remember, to, to be super clear, the headphone jack is forty year old technology, right? It's not. It's not a new phenomenon by any stretch of the imagination. And one of the reasons why it's my understanding that Apple got rid of it was because they wanted to move towards a thinner phone. It was the phone jack that was um, uh, apparently one of the things standing in their way of a thinner phone. But a quick question related to that. I don't personally care either way, but Wes, is that a deal breaker for you on a Pixel phone? No, definitely not. Um, you know, it is. Uh, hey, Marta is with us from Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Hello, Marta. Um, we do have a chat room. If, if anyone is joining us live, please j- j- chime in there. I agree. I, I mean, I think the fact that a, an analog headphone jack is not is it's DRM free. There's no digital rights management. And so you can plug that in and do all kinds of stuff. But yeah, 40 year old technology, the fact that, I mean, there's the thin factor, but then there's also the waterproof factor. Um, so no, that's, that's, that's not a big deal. Um, and we've got adapters, right? I mean, and it, right. an adapter comes with uh, the iPhone seven. So, and, and will, I'm sure with, with the other iPhones, well, maybe Apple will have you pay extra for it, but it's available right. if you want to, you know, stick with your, your old earbuds and not do something Bluetooth or whatever. Right. Well, and remember, the Pixel phones do with come with USB Type-C power ports, which means there's a likelihood that you can plug actually a lot of dongles into the phone. Um, uh, most of the phones don't uh, handle the USB-C to a video adapter. Uh, some phones do. Most phones don't. That could be a possibility here, and I haven't read either way on this one, but there's going to be a headphone adapter. There's likely to be a regular USB, old-style USB plug-in adapter. There's lots of ways that, that USB-C uh, a power adapter can also you know, add a lot of extra functionality to that phone. And to talk about you know, educational lens, um, we are always chasing 
the, the future, right? I mean, we do it as consumers, but in school, you know, we are never adopting the absolute cutting edge, bleeding edge for everyone, right? We may have a few early adopters or, you know, our principal or the tech, maybe the technology department, who knows? But I mean, you're not, you're not probably getting the latest and greatest tech that was just announced. You're, you're not going to be getting that at school tomorrow, but it is really important to note that USB-C is the standard of the future when it comes to peripherals. And so we've seen Apple with their MacBook line, you know, we're, they're still, we're in this transition time as we always are with technologies where we're going to have to, you know, preserve some of the old, uh, but with, with new MacBooks, the thin ones, you know, they're, they're USB-C only. And it's really significant to see Google making this shift to USB-C only for the Pixel. I don't, I mean, Apple hasn't done that yet. And that's something that, you know, they're sticking with their, their, um, Thunderbolt, right? No, lightning, lightning cable. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see when Apple does that because, USB-C is so flexible as far as being able to carry power. I mean, that's why it's the only port on, you know, a thin, small MacBook, because you can have your USB peripherals connected. You can have your power connected, uh, video, everything. You know, it's just, it's the everything wire. Right. So Google, Google's actually ahead of Apple with that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say with the Pixel. Okay, well, let's go on to another product. Uh, also related to that, the Pixel Buds uh, were released today, and you seem very excited about this product, Wes, so why don't you talk a little bit about it to start? Oh, my gosh. So, you know, Star, Star Trek <laughs> has, has a lot of elements of our ideas about the future, and, and my wife is a really big Trekkie. I've watched more Star Trek because of her, uh, you know, than, than I ever did on my own. I was just kind of a Star Wars guy fan but this idea of you know synchronous translation i mean we've seen this at the united nations where you know people are are talking and then they're they're able to listen in their own language but that's all been you know real people doing that translation you know it hasn't been been uh automated and so the graph that sundar pachai showed at, near the beginning of of the keynote today showed the amount of translations that Google is handling, you know, per day is just stunning. And so the new earbuds that they have don't look particularly phenomenal in terms of like their sleek design. They look kind of standard, but what they do when they pair with the Pixel phone is that they synchronously translate today 40 different languages with only about one or two seconds of latency. And so I'm thinking about this on a practical basis, you know, heading to Cairo, Egypt here in about a, a, a month, you know, one, if Arabic is one of those 40 languages, because if it is, yeah, I'm not going to have my hands on a pixel phone by then. So that's probably not going to happen. But I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, the last international travel I was able to do was last spring break. I think it was to Brazil and I got by okay, sort of, with my Spanish, but it's it's not Portuguese. And I really felt handicapped um, not having, you know, the the language access. So that to me, that is so exciting. But but talk about disruptive for school, right? How does foreign language class change in an AI first world when Google Translate is built into your browser? You know, we, I've had foreign language faculty request turning that off entirely. And I think what we did was we ended up making it where it wasn't a, just a default pop-up. But 
it's a little bit like the calculator, right? You know, we, we had math teachers for years. We tell the story about my dad at the Air Force Academy in 1972, part of the committee that looked at slide rules versus calculators. What should they do? And they stuck with the slide rule, you know, for another year. I mean, we, we really held off on saying, can we use a calculator? And I, I think that Google is ushering in a new era of translation. And so that, to me, is the single most exciting product announcement from the whole day. Sure. Well, and one thing that, um, and I'm not sure, I don't think I've told this story on to here. One of the things I used to show off as kind of a gee whiz tool about the future of the world was there was this really great app of three or four years ago called Word Lens. And it started off on iOS and was then available on Android. And Word Lens was an app that allowed you to take your phone and turn the camera on. And there was limited conditions in when it worked really well. But basically, you put it up to a, a text and it automatically translated to another language. And so um, I used to talk about in context of travel, one of the things that terrified me in when I first traveled internationally, and this was in the year 2000 when I spent a month uh, backpacking with my then girlfriend, now wife, um, we, you know, she was, she's pretty good with languages, but it was pretty new to me. And so it was a real barrier for me in traveling. And in 2017, it doesn't need to be a barrier anymore because of apps like Google Translate, which by the way, its core was WordLens. Google bought WordLens and it became part of the Google Translate suite. To add that headphones component to it and the instant translation is mind blowing to me. And yeah, it does. Uh, it, it, I, I think, uh, I think very hopefully that it, it can help, uh, encourage more people to go to places where they don't speak the language and not feel intimidated by the fact that they don't. I think that's an incredibly world changing event. Uh, but it also, um, you know, kind of calls into question maybe the notion that English will become the world language, right? Uh, because it, doesn't be it's not necessary anymore in a world where we're able to communicate without knowing each other's language um it does call into uh it does call into question i think the teaching of other languages in schools but i will say that uh, as, i'm i'm an advocate for teaching languages in schools not just because um you know it's 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 good for for our world community it's good to understand the culture and and language of a, of of another people i think it's good because it helps your head right there's plenty of research to say that learning another language is a very important cognitive exercise so i would advocate from just that standpoint but the bottom line is it's a mind-blowing thing when i read that headline i thought it was fake right i thought that that was a <laughs> almost a joke actually right like it's fake tech news and yeah good on google and what an amazing product and boy does that kick the crap out of apple's AirBuds, right and i'm gonna include this tweet so Again, from my 18 minutes of watching the keynote, Sundar Pichai had a beautiful tweet that was, it was two uh, young boys at some kind of international sporting event. And they were sitting down, leaning up against like maybe an RV or something. And they were using phones and they were from different countries and they spoke different languages, but they were using Google Translate, you know, to, to build a friendship. And so he used that tweet as a stage for saying it's always been our dream at Google to make language translation even more natural. And and at that point, they hadn't even introduced the earbuds as kind of foreshadowing. But, oh, my gosh, that is just that is really exciting. And I think, you know, the other thing that this makes me want to do, we, we've got this this uh, Google Camp OKC that's coming up on November 4th. And we've got, you know, lots of pre presentation proposals come in and, and I'm I'm probably going to share a couple things, but one of the things that today made me think of is 
you know, what is teaching in an AI first world look like? And, you know, whether it's foreign language or whether it's coding, I mean, I, I think we ought to grapple with these things because the pace of change is just is stunning. And all, we're together with our students and our, our own children and families. Right. We are we are hurtling into the future. And I don't know who has a really good answer for that. I definitely know that we feel disruptive challenges to those kinds of things. Um, so that that to me, that sounds like a worthwhile thing to explore. So uh, I'm going to be curious. We've got some really pretty staunch Android uh, phone users. And I think I'm pretty sure one of my uh, one of my colleagues has a, a, a first generation Pixel phone. So I don't know this. This is pushing me more on the edge. I think I told you that I've decided uh, the iPhone X and or the 10 and and even the 8 just seem like they're they're priced so high. And of course, the Pixel is not a cheap phone either. But ecosystems, capabilities, artificial intelligence, you know, and the ways in which, as we might talk about later today, these things can be chained together. You know, I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to be John Luke Picard, computer. Yep. Earl Grey, hot. You know, it's going to, it's going to happen. Well, and I won't make one other comment related to Pixel phones. Again, I'm guessing our audience is pretty tech-savvy about a lot of these pieces. But for those that are unaware of the other advantage of a Pixel phone, you get plain vanilla Android on a Pixel phone. And that means that you don't get any of the the design changes that individual manufacturers uh, add to Android in order to create a functional operating system. And the best example of that is uh, the good people at... uh, um, uh, Samsung usually add a, uh, a kind of an overlay to Android to make it its own. And I've always found Samsung's overlay to be a little cartoony for my taste and that uh, Android usually looks a little more modern, or I'm sorry, uh, plain Android on the Google Pixel looks a little more modern. But these Pixel phones are guaranteed to get three years of updates. That means you'll get the next uh, two versions of Android. They're released next year and the year after. That's a a big boon and not available on on, on a lot of mainstream phones. And you get the plain Android experience. It's what uh, Google intended when they released Android. So again, there's, there's going to be released in coming weeks. There is already some rumors on the internet that the Google supply chain is already slow to a crawl. So last year's Google Pixel availability problems are likely to impact this year's phone release as well. But it'll be great to see more reviews on these phones and find out if they're as, as game-changing as they appear to be. So let's move on to the next announcement. This one's a little uh, a little more interesting to me. It's the highest end hardware announced today, and that is the new uh, Pixel Book. Is the name of Google's 2017 uh, Chrome, Google produced Chromebook. And a little history lesson in Google Chromebooks: uh, Google has produced four Chromebooks at this point. The CR48 which was the original Chromebook released, I think it was in 2010. Uh, it was never commercially for sale. It was actually given away to beta testers in order to test out the Chrome uh, operating system. Um, and then in 2013, Google uh, made what was considered to be a mysterious decision that year. They released their first Chromebook Pixel. And the Chromebook Pixel was a super high-end Chromebook that had a high-end resolution or high-resolution screen, a touch screen, a beautiful all-metal case, and um, 
was priced starting at $1,000. And it was very controversial at the time because one of the value propositions of a Chromebook was that it ran on modest hardware, which meant you could buy a relatively cheap Chromebook and still have a good user experience. They updated that in 2015. And now in 2017, there is the Pixel Book. And from what I've been able to see is the Pixel Book um, is a minimum thousand dollar uh, pixel laptop uh, which has either eight or 16 gigabytes of ram it has storage up to um, 512 gigabytes of, of uh, ssd storage which is a strange decision we can talk about separately uh, in a moment and they are all relatively high-end uh, Intel chips. So it includes... Uh, I-5 or I-7, I think, right? Yep, I-5 or I-7 chip, which means that these are... I mean, they're not even the mobile versions of the chip. They're the straight-up uh, mobile... I'm sorry, they're not even the, the scale-back versions, uh, but the I-5 and I-7 chips are available here. And I also read another article uh, a little bit earlier today that said that it's fanless, too, which means they're managing to keep the... The, the Chromebook um, uh, somewhat cool. It has the spin around feature to it, which means you can use it either as a laptop or you can flip it around and use it in tent mode um, or a tablet mode. And for another, I believe $99, you can pick up an add-on referred to as the Pixel Pen, um, which is a stylus uh, that, that uses Wacom technology in order to provide a kind of a high-end stylus experience. So um, I will note, we're going to probably talk about Chromebooks uh, uh, in greater detail in a week or two. There was an, a fascinating article released last week by Gary Steger on the Medium uh, platform that questioned the ultimate value proposition of Chromebooks. And I frankly disagreed pretty strongly with a lot of the, the claims made um, in that article. But we'll talk about that separately. But first, uh, Wes, would you be in the market for a high-end Chromebook? Maybe, <laughs> you know, I think you made the, the purchase of the century with your, your, I don't know if, did you get that at a pawn shop or your, your yeah. second hand, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. Pixel wow. one for a hundred and something dollars. Yeah. Hey, it, it must be nice to, to have pixel Chromebooks in your, in your local pawn shop in Montana, you know, I don't know, but, uh, we, yeah, well, I've actually picked up some, some Apple hardware, you know, as well. You never know what you're going to get. You just hope that it's legitimately pawned. Right. Um, yeah, maybe, I mean, I think that if I was to do, if we were adopting laptops today at our school, I would probably go with Chromebooks instead of going with MacBooks. I hope I'm not struck by lightning by, you know, someone by, by saying that. Um, but it's, they're, they're, they're so capable and, um, the, the, the cost factor, of course, with a Chrome, with a Pixel, you're gonna, you're, you're paying a premium price for a premium laptop. Um, but, you know, perhaps I, I don't think so. I think some of the other products that that Google announced today, I'm more likely to to spend on first. But yeah, we've we've purchased I think three Chromebooks now as uh you know in our in our family, and uh, they're all still working. You know, no, none yeah. of them have been thrown away. Uh, in fact, on a on a side note, we did retire about 30 Chromebooks, two carts, and update those with with Dell. Uh, and we just, I received the most wonderful packet of thank you letters from the school. They, the, the class that got them, um, you know, they'd only been able to go like twice a week to the computer lab, you know, and now in their English class, they have it every day. They can use them. And so it's a testament to, I mean, these were, these were getting slow, but gosh, you know, still lots of usable life. So how about you? Are you, t are you tempted? Are you on the pixel tonight? Cause you've, 
How many laptops do you actually have to choose from in your arsenal of weapons, Jason? Uh, more than I care to say without getting <laughs> off. But I would say I am joining on a Chromebook tonight. I'm joining on my, my high-end Chromebook. And um, as I've mentioned it a couple times in the past, um, I am predominantly Chrome OS outside of, of the daily workday. And, and more often than not, when I grab a laptop to go work in a coffee shop or something at work, I'll grab the Chromebook too. And again, we'll talk about you know, the Chromebook as a, as a production platform when we talk about uh, Dr. Steger's article in a couple of weeks. But the super bottom line is, is that, you know, you paying a little more money, even if you don't get the $1,500 Chromebook, even if you look at one of the five or $600 models from HP, it's available now. Um, there's a great high-end Chromebook from HP that was released for $1,000 uh, at the end of 2016 that you can now find refurbished for under $500. Um, it's got an M7 chip and 16 gigabytes of RAM. Like when you when you buy higher end hardware, it makes your experience better. And I find that this that the powerful simplicity of the Chrome operating system is enough for me to be productive for almost everything I do, except for playing first person shooter games. That's the only thing I can't do on my Chromebook that I would miss if I had no Windows or or, or full Mac OS price available. But I'm not in, I, I think the hardware looks beautiful. I think it's a beautiful uh, uh, a looking laptop. The screen is that, uh, that beautiful three by two screen that flips around really well, makes a decent tablet. The uh, Android apps on Chrome OS is a wonderful thing, especially when you have a fast uh, Chromebook that you can run several apps in the background in addition to your browser. It's all super awesome, but you know, $1,500 is a lot for me to pay for any laptop uh, in 2017, but I'm glad the hardware exists. It is. Uh, Marta in the chat room asked about screen size, and it's actually a little bit of a lowering according to TechCrunch. Uh, the previous uh, Chromebook Pixel was a 12.3 inch display, and this goes to 12.82 inches with a 235 points per inch density, which I have no idea how that compares to, to anything. But and you yeah, know, I, the, the the bottom line is is that there is um, there. It's it's way more than you need, but you'll appreciate it if you get it, right? I mean, like... Well, it defines the possibilities, right? The 360-degree the yeah. hinge, the way in which it's just going to flexibly be tablet or laptop. And we've we've talked about this on the show. Um, Google and, and other companies, uh, Microsoft, you know, are making the bet that you're going to want both together. Apple is not and is continuing to say, you know, you want your iPad separately. And as the technologies continue to mature and there appear to be less differentiators between them, it will become more compelling to have them together. And so I'm interested, and I'd like to see an article if anybody sees one or wants to tweet one or will find it, how the stylus that Google developed with Wacom compares to the Apple Pencil, because the Apple Pencil on an iPad Pro is amazing, right? I mean, it is phenomenal, the ability to have your hand on the screen, to not have to worry about making other marks. Um, and I think that function, let's take it back to the school lens, right? We're having discussions at school now as far as like, you know, because we're not one-to-one, -one, you know. Is this going to be Chromebook? Is this going to be iPad? Right. We've got some teachers doing some really awesome stuff, it, like in math, with styluses. You know, I really would prefer – I want to empower – I can, you know, to be able to, to to powerfully use creative tools. And so I think the stylus – it's it's important, right? We we have been writing and drawing people forever, 
And so I'm, I'm excited about that. And I think I'm most excited about seeing Google really define what's possible in terms of the integration. And I'm going to be interested to see with the Android apps and, you know, that kind of thing, how that continues to mature. Because when it comes to function, like I want to be able to take notes. I want to be able to share stuff. I want to be able to collaborate. I want to be able to, to get my news. You know, what are the things that you want to be able to do? Um, yeah, we're continuing to see the uh, the rise of the the less premium priced, you know, Android and and uh, Chrome powered devices to be able to do those kind of things, which will, as you as you foreshadowed, talk in depth as we respond to to Gary Staker. That that would be a good one to just do a show about. I think. Sure. That's sure. Funny too. Okay, so that's the Chromebook, or I'm sorry, the Pixel Book, um, kind of changing names around a little bit. And then there's a couple of, of other interesting ones. Let me do the easy one, and then we'll do kind of the uh, mysterious one uh, of the group. Uh, they also announced new Google Homes today. Google Home is the uh, virtual personal assistant device um, for for the home. Um, I am a Google Home user, um, and I very much enjoy that platform. They released two today. One of them is a smaller Google Home that allows you to... Um, in essence, uh, it's it's like a competitive piece to the um, um, to the Echo Dot, I think is the name of the product, which is a smaller uh, Amazon uh, Echo that, Dot or Spot. It might be Spot. I th- it's, it's it's Spot or Dot, but um, so they have they have something that that they've announced today that's a competitor to that. It's the Google Home Mini. It's forty nine dollars and um is available in three colors and basically it's a uh you know a a a smaller uh, less great speaker than the Google Home and then in order to be competitive with the Apple speaker that was announced earlier this year they're also doing something called the Google Home Max which is a $399 um Google Home device which is you know close to the um um uh, close to the price of the Apple speaker, a high-end Apple speaker that was released earlier this year, but uh, it apparently has a lot of super high-end features to it, including an automatic feature that uh, adjusts the sound based on where it's placed in the room and the size of a room, which is an interesting technology within itself, and then, of course, all the wonderful uh, things built into the Google Home. So I know that you know, a, a home-based virtual personal assistant has not made it into the Friar house yet. Do, do these announcements change anything for you, Wes? Again, it's because the ecosystem overall has such appeal, you know, and make no mistake, I drink the, the, the Google Kool-Aid daily and I serve it to others with a smile. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, and, and I like Amazon, but I'm not, I'm not as rapidly excited about Amazon. They haven't had the impact on education broadly that Google has. Um, our IT department, I'm very thankful we can order direct from Amazon and, and Prime and what it makes, you know, filling out my credit card reports. Much, much faster the fact that we're able to do that. But, you know, Google has, has had the bigger impact. Yeah, I mean, for, 49 bucks, right? That, that is a tempting price to me. I think we are going to start to, you know, just change our perceptions about always on technology. It is, it, we're, we're moving into the Star Trek age, okay? And this, and part of Star Trek was wherever you were on the enterprise, you know, you can contact the computer by speaking. This is part of the future that is happening today. It's because conversation and the ways in which, uh, you know, speech recognition ha- has just been growing by leaps and bounds um, until we're doing implants, which 
you know, we're not going to probably be around in a hundred years to do the show, but you know, we're becoming transhuman. We've, we've talked about this on the show and, re- and referenced some different articles. I, I agree with people like that. People who are saying that we are changing as a species because of our technology. And there's, there's obviously good and bad to that, but I'm trying to say speaking in, in terms of interacting with our devices is going to be a huge part of the future. We're still going to have some remote controls and some keyboards and some other kinds of things. But, um, you know, the privacy side of this, the security side, part of it does come down to who do you trust? You know, do you, do you trust Google? Do you trust Amazon? Because these companies are going to have your data and stuff can get hacked, right? Um, and so, yes, the Amazon or sorry, the, the, um, uh, the Google, what would you call it? Mini home? The home mini. It, it's very tempting. I'm, and I'm going to watch and we can do this, right? We can wait for the discounts because there's probably going to be, you know, it's $35. It's less, but the ecosystem and, and this idea, I don't think we've mentioned this yet of being able to daisy chain commands. So on one of our TVs, we have a Chromecast now. And so being able, and we don't have other kinds of smart integrations. They talked about Nest, which I think has been purchased by Google, is going to have the best integrations as far as home, um, you know, thermostats. But there's all kinds of things that you're going to be able to integrate. And not that this is just earth shattering by itself, but being able to say, good night, whatever, you know, can trigger your alarm system on, your door lock off, your you know, coffee pot off or whatever. You're, you're going to be able to have multiple things. You're, you're going to have some agency over devices and they're going to be able to talk to each other. And, and this is, this is happening now. So yes, I am further on the edge of my seat than ever before. And I don't, I don't know if they announced anything new with their mesh, you know, routers, but that, that's another thing that, you know, I don't know how old the, the, um, uh, the router that I've got, you know, from Apple is, but, some of your technology you're going to want to be updating, you know, over time. And then other things are going to be like a new thing that you introduce into your home. <clears throat> and and back to the idea of <clears throat> having a Google device that you can speak to, being able to say, I want to have this on the screen. You know, we're, we don't have a, a thing on our front door as far as a, a camera or whatever. But, you know, being able to speak and say things and it appears on screens, all of this is coming coming rapidly. So. There it is. How many different things can you integrate today with your Google Home, Jason? Um, I, I mostly have it hooked up to power and uh, entertainment options. Um, I have now replaced its six power uh, outlets in my house with a Wemo power switch that makes it a, a smart power switch. And mostly what I use that for is part of its demoing. I like to you know say, um, okay, then... Google, making sure not to say it together to scare people. Then my people to do this out loud and, and turn on my entertainment center at home or or uh, that sort of thing. But what I've been using it for is, is power savings because all those smart switches have automated shutoffs built into them after X number of hours. So as an example of this, my entertainment center now is queued to go off after three hours. The stereo in my bedroom, which I sometimes like to listen to white noise at night, is scheduled to go off after five hours. And the one I just set up recently was I put all the stuff in my 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 office that was not a computer. So monitors, stereo speakers, uh, cell phone chargers, 
on one power strip that's plugged into a smart smart Wemo device that then turns those things off after two hours. And I can always turn it back on. It's not like I, I am, you know, unable to to control if it gets turned off. But what that does for me is it means that overnight, if I walk away and I'm not sitting at my computer, um, that means that, you know, that that's not sucking and drawing power. And so that's all controlled by my Google Home, and I, I like it very much. Uh, we also have an Alexa kicking around our house, too, because uh, I've been working on comparing the two. The Alexa is a little more functional right now because of the massive head start that Amazon has had over everyone else on this. But at some point, I'm thinking that those will all work together, that or they'll all be about par. And I, I think Apple is, is probably the the definitely the third place here compared to Alexa and uh, the, the Google Assistant and Google Home product, but um, they're all kind of working to push each other. Well, can we talk a little bit about the uh, the camera? Yeah, that's, that's maybe the weirdest one. Um, so uh, Google also announced today something referred to as the Google Clip, which is a miniature camera that runs for $249. And um, it, my understanding of this is correct, um, it essentially is a camera you carry around with you uh, like all day, and I don't know if you put it on your shoulder or you attach it to a bag or you set it on a desk. And basically, the camera is a um, smart camera that spontaneously captures memories and moments during the day and then um, uh, kind of allows you to go back and look at them later. And if you think about it for a second, the Google Photo System, which is Google's photo storage system, already has some extraordinary power in it. For example, I, I, all my photos are in Google Photo. I backed up all my digital photos to that. And the fact that it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I popped on to try to find an old image of, of, of my, my recently departed cat. And um, first of all, I was able to type the word cat, and it showed me all the pictures of cats in my collection. So that was made it really easy. But it also showed me a list of, of all the people that were in my photos. And it had guessed pretty correctly. Like I said, hey, who's this? And I said, hey, that's my dad. And it said, great, let me show you all the photos of your dad. And, you know, all the photos popped up. So my understanding is that some of that artificial intelligence and big data components are going to be built into the ecosystem around the camera. So it might be able to say, you know, if my, my, my good friend and colleague, Mike Agustinelli, that I work with at the Digital Academy, if I had it set up in my office, I could say, hey, show me pictures of Mike from today. And when Mike came into my office and chat about X, Y, and Z, it'd be able to show me photos from the day that it captured. And apparently it utilizes... Uh, again, artificial intelligence, and they expect the camera to get better over time, which almost every article I read about this had mentioned that as a key feature. I want to do a huge shout-out for this because images and photos are the raw materials for so many different projects and products that students can and should be creating in school. And having a place that you trust to place your photographs and have them backed up is hugely important from a personal standpoint in, as well as thinking about school. Uh, my wife worked at one time for a woman who had never synced her iPhone ever to anything and did not back up to iCloud. And she had thousands and thousands of photographs and her phone was either broken or stolen and, and she lost every single picture. It's terrible. But, you know, if you think about the memories, you know, we, we had friends uh, in Wyoming in the 88 fire, you know, they, they, uh, first thing they, they went to get to the, in their cabin to make sure it did not burn, you know, were their photographs and their pictures. So, 
uh, it's really important. I, Flickr is, is hanging in there, you know, and I'm still sharing some stuff to Flickr. But this is another reason, as, as e- if you're listening to this, as you're thinking about ecosystems and where you're going to invest and where you're going to put your stuff and what you're going to trust, I think that what Google is doing with photos and the ways in which – and this is iPhone too, right? You don't have to have a Pixel phone. You know, I've got all of my photos set whenever I'm on Wi-Fi to immediately back up to Google Photos. So – I can't say enough about how important that is. And I I think two things that were interesting about this. Okay, we've talked on the show a lot about surveillance and the scary side of these technologies. Google is being very intentional about presenting, you know, a very warm and inviting side of this. And I, I didn't see this part of the keynote. I heard others talking about it, you know, on a, on a, a podcast or a news show. They were saying that the person who introduced the, this, uh, this phone, or, or sorry, the, the camera, you know, showed pictures of her nephew um, and an, another relative who were reading together. And she had gone out to try to take pictures and they had stopped, you know, and, and, they're, they weren't interacting, you know, when she was there, present with the camera. But when she set the, what is it called, the, the actual uh, camera? The, uh, <laughs> the clip. The clip. And she put the clip out, you know, and left it there. Then it captured some really, you know, cute uh, images. And so it was showing really a transformational technology use where if she had been there with her phone or other camera, she wouldn't have been able to capture them. Of course, that's interesting kind of from a surveillance standpoint and an always-on standpoint. But um, the other thing from a privacy standpoint that's really important to note is that this phone, this, uh, sorry, I keep trying to call it a phone, this camera um, does not sync to the cloud. It does not send everything up to, you know, work with your facial recognition today, okay, uh, that you already have in Google Photos. Um, they're trying to, I, I think, be very careful about that. It's trained to recognize animals. So, you know, dogs, cats, somebody said it works with goats. Um, it will, you know, recognize those things and people, um, you know, it's it's not the surveillance state tool where, you know, you're going to be able to, you know, put it on your uh, on your front door and, uh, you know, have, have the little... Uh, augmented reality, you know, names of, of people appearing in photographs because it connects to a database, et cetera. I don't, I think this is, this after the earbuds is the second most interesting announcement that Google has made. And the idea of machine learning being applicable to a camera that, you know, you could place in, in different spots. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. So I, uh, I love how Google innovates, right? And this is an example of them, you know, taking a bet and going with, so this was probably somebody's 20% project, right? Somebody that was enabled at Google to, you know, work on a personal passion project and kind of see where it went. I, I would, this, that's what this sounds like it came from. So are you going to pick one up for your house, Jason? And how will other members of your family respond if you do? My wife would not approve of the, you know, the always on Google camera in my home. And frankly, I don't think I really do either. Um, but it is an interesting AI experiment that I would like to, you know, it, it's, it's a little stiff for me at $249. Um, I'm not afraid to spend $249 on a, on, on a useful piece of technology equipment, but this seems like it's more of an amusement. But I think the bigger headline here is that Google's now offering hardware products that match its AI ambitions. And that's something that 
um, you can't you can't underestimate here, right? One of the articles we're also sharing tonight is part of our show notes. And by the way, show notes are always available at our website, edtechsr.com. It usually includes a lot of links that we could never get to, even if we had a three-hour show to talk about through this week's technology news. But there's a really wonderful article um, uh, that talks about this from The Verge, today from The Verge, that says basically that Google hardware is no longer a hobby. It's, it's kind of their main deal. And I like the notion that Google's building out, even if it's just curiosities, right? Like this, this uh, a clip camera thing. I can't even think of a, a, a use case for it that that I could explain to a non-techie. But at the same time, if this is really a manifestation of its AI ambitions, and that it's going to at some point not just catalog the world's information, but all of your information as well, whether you're giving it to it or not, that's that's pretty fascinating. It, it comes with some ethical questions, but obviously very fascinating. So it's great to see Google go in this direction. I can't overstate how important this is, okay? Three months ago, and we talked about this on the show, we have several times, Sundar Pichai says we're moving from a mobile-first to an AI first, you know, uh, uh, standpoint, or I don't know, I'm not using the right, <clears throat> right word for that, but their whole, the worldview, you know, they are looking at every product. Yep. Um, it's huge. This is gigantic. This is not small. This is not something that's just going to impact technology teachers in their, you know, technology computer classes and coding. This is societal. This is ginormous. You know, this is, we're talking about self-driving cars and other kinds of manifestations. But, um, you know, how do we prepare kids for an AI first world? I mean, that, that should be the, the, the title of, of every keynote that you're going to hear at, a, at tech conferences. Uh, maybe not. That's a little, I'm going a little far. But I mean, seriously, that, it is so big that Google is having that kind of a focus. It's not a hidden thing. It's, it's out there. And, um, you know, that's one of the challenges for us as, as educators and educational leaders is trying to, to figure out what does that mean. I mean, probably some of what it means is going to be that, as always, we need to help Students that are going to be flexible, are going to be collaborative, are going to be able to work with others, and they're going to be able to, you know, work in a world filled with change. But um, there's going to be other things, too, I think, in terms of their analytical skills, their abilities to work with algorithms, um, their ability to harness these kinds of tools, right? If you thought the calculator was powerful in 1972, oh, my gosh, being able to voice control. I mean, oh, and something else that they – it was a – uh, reminded me of Apple is they talked about 40 million songs, you know, at your fingertips with the Google home. I mean, when I was, you know, in, in, uh, right, right out of, uh, college, you know, getting a 10 disc CD changer and I'm probably boring people. I've said this before, but I mean, a Sony 10 disc changer. Do you know how exciting that was in my car to be able to say random shuffle? And there were 10 CDs, get it? 10 albums. <laughs> and now, you know, a mere 20, 25 years later, we're talking about 40 million, you know, songs on your watch or in your home. Um, yeah, I think that we got to wrap our heads around this and it's uh, it should have implications for what we are doing in school. It, it truly should, because it's this isn't something that is going to take decades to happen. It's going to unfold far more quickly than any of us are probably ready for. Yep, absolutely so. Um, well, that that concludes the uh, the Google announcements today. Um, I would say that um, 
there's obviously a lot of interesting things here and a lot of I, I feel like a lot of gauntlets have been thrown down to Microsoft, Amazon and Apple. Not that their announcements haven't been exciting this year, too. In fact, I, I think, if anything, one of the things that's really exciting for me is there are multiple ecosystems that have very viable product sets that are available to consumers and schools now. Um, obviously, the least viable of that for schools would be the Amazon ecosystem, uh, clearly in fourth place in my mind because they don't have any actual computer hardware. But the fact that uh, Apple and Microsoft and Google are now all making hardware, they're all working on tightly integrated hardware with their software offerings, I think can only benefit consumers in the end and make um, uh, more powerful tools available to us as techies. Where is Microsoft in this, Jason? And I'm not saying this because I want Miguel Gulen, who has, for some crazy reason, become the biggest Google or a Microsoft lover that I know. But, I mean, seriously, I, I mean, they have HoloLens and they're working to become compatible on other devices, but... Um, we didn't cover this in the show, but I think what part of the Apple announcement was they've dropped Bing, you know, and they've gone gone back to Google on the iPhone. I don't know. I just don't see Microsoft as a player the way that I'm seeing Amazon, Google, and and uh, Amazon. Well, here's here's what I think has changed in the last two years. Um, now that that uh, Microsoft has a viable web based strategy for uh, computing, and that's the Office 365 system, and then OneDrive, I think, is also part of this as well in my mind. I think they're competitive again in that they're not having to, our schools are not having to turn automatically to the Google ecosystem, a Google ecosystem to have a cloud-based computing service that can serve a comprehensive set of educational needs in a school district. And that's, in my mind, where Microsoft is, is now very competitive with these others. And although I, I so I, 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 uh, I have access to a Surface book now. It's something that, that I have regular access to. It's something that, that I, I, I utilize at work, uh, uh, quite a bit. It's a great piece of hardware, but I, I do think other than what seems to be the ill-fated Windows 10 S, which is supposed to be kind of the Chromebook competitor, I think Microsoft has done a lot in the last 24 months to become a more flexible company and um, um, uh, you know, to stay competitive in that. And we don't talk about it here much because we, we don't talk about Google as much in this either, but the Microsoft Classroom product is 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 uh, a very compelling product that utilizes a lot of the same cloud computing concepts that make the Google suite for education so powerful. The Microsoft Teams application, which was released earlier this year and is now out of beta and available to plug into Office 365, is a Slack-like piece of software, but it's aimed at the educational community. So having teachers and students collaborate together, uh, whether they're in the same room or, or, or halfway around the world, um, I think that keeps them pretty competitive. Um, and there's no Microsoft phone, sadly, for Microsoft, but on both a an iPhone and an Android phone, I feel like that the portable apps on both those platforms are extremely functional and, and really, really quite outstanding uh, mobile apps. I, for example, I, I use Word pretty frequently on my iPad um, to read documents. It's a better reader than, than uh, its alternatives. And if you have an, a Microsoft 365 account, which I do personally, um, as well as for, for some uh, organizations I, I work with, uh, it becomes that much more functional as a full word processor. So I think, it, you know, in my mind, when people come to me and say, is Google better or is Microsoft better? I can legitimately say in 2017 that if your district has made that decision for you, right, it's Google or it's Microsoft, 
the, the tools are functional enough that you can work within either to do a good percentage of the collaborative educational environments that you want in an advanced classroom environment. They're, 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 they're not equal by any stretch of the imagination. They both have places where, where I think they win, but it's, it's good enough to be a competitor to the Google suite. The only caveat to that I would say is that I do not think Microsoft with their admin console is where yeah. Google is today in terms of managing devices, which yep, is, which right. is significant. But that was a very good plug for Microsoft and I will not, you know, write, write, write them off. Um, I do want to do a shout out to Tammy Parks, our biggest fan in, uh, Southeast Oklahoma, out in Howe, Oklahoma. Tammy has tweeted out to us before. She, uh, has to do some commutes from time to time into Oklahoma City, which I think is about a three, three hour drive for her. And we just want to say thank you, Tammy, for listening and sharing EdTech SR. And Jason, I'm afraid it's the top of the hour. We probably better do some Geeks of the Week. And, um, uh, I, I can go first if you want to, cause I'm not sure. Oh. You got one in there. You you did. You got it in there quick. So, yep. Yeah, I'll do mine quickly, and I can toss it back to you to, to clean up the show. So, um, I'm offering as my geek of the week this week. Um, I I've been talking about this a lot, but I've been very Chromebook focused as of late, and and have tried to stay largely in the Chrome community. And I've actually received some questions via Twitter and some in back channels asking me that if you wanted to buy a Chromebook where to go to find out more about Chromebooks. And part of the problem is, is there are a lot of really low-end Chromebooks that I don't think are really great user experiences. It's a minority of those that are available, but you can easily buy a $75 Chromebook today, a brand new $75 Chromebook that's years old that would not be a very good user experience. And I think knowing what you're buying is really important. And so the resource I utilize for this is a really great comparison website. Um, that goes through and, and makes a number of, of interesting comparisons about Chromebooks. Um, it is available at, um, uh, and I lost my link, there you are, at zipso.net, which I have no idea what zipso.net is other than it's this wonderful Chromebook spec page, but it goes back all the way back to the Chromebook release year of 2011 and offers uh, uh, statistics and information related to uh, Chromebooks going back to their, their beginning. And so if you want to see which Chromebooks run Android, if you want to see which Chromebooks uh, score high on various benchmarks, uh, uh, RAM options, screen resolution, then you can do, uh, you can find uh, comparisons there. And for me, what's super interesting is a high resolution Chromebook with four plus gigabytes of RAM with an M3, M5, M7, or, or i3, i5, or i7 chip is usually a really wonderful user experience in comparison to some of the ARM chips with lower resolution screens. They sometimes have excellent battery lives, but other than that are not super great. So if you're looking to compare Chromebooks, uh, the Zipso.net Chromebook spec comparison table is worth your time and attention. Excellent. And my Geek of the Weeks, I'll just do a quick update. I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago this Via Connect Pro. We've been on a quest at our school to find a tool that will give multi-protocol, multi-platform streaming ability, wireless streaming ability, so that folks who walk up with a Surface Book from Microsoft or an iPad or a MacBook or, you know, uh, another device, Chrome device, are going to be able to stream to it. And uh, I can now report that we have a Via Connect Pro working well and working with, with uh, Mac OS, iOS, working with Chrome via its extension, and working with Windows 10. 
The disadvantage is it's about 800 bucks. So not something we're going to be putting into every classroom, but <clears throat> we've had a chance to um, do a, a really nice AV upgrade in our chapel. And that is the tool that the vendor had recommended. And lo and behold, it does work as advertised. So the uh, other one that I'll mention quickly is Google Map. Have you, have you seen this before, Jason? Um, I, your audio cut out there. What was the name again? Okay. It's Google maps, treks. Sounds like it should be Google map treks, but it's treks that go with Google maps. No. How interesting. Wow. Our seventh grade social studies teacher showed me this phenomenal, uh, lesson that she's been doing with ancient Egypt with her students. And I put a link that goes directly to the pyramids of Giza and, what an amazing combination of web-based Google Earth with Google Street View being able to drop the little, you know, gold men, uh, you know, onto the little blue line so that you can get the 360 degree, uh, panoramas, but really amazing dives into uh, just phenomenal places in the world. You can't tell at all. I'm sure that I love geography and, you know, it's, it's one of the things that just gets me pretty fired up, but, uh, something to check out. And, uh, Sarah Zedlitz is that teacher who, who showed this to me today and I, I'm so excited she's going to present about it, I think, at our Google Camp OKC that we're going to have. So hopefully more to come about that. And if you are interested at all in geography and social studies and history um, or just travel, you know, or just amazing places on the planet, this this is cool stuff. So I think it's interesting as VR and that kind of technology advances, you know, what we can just do in a browser or in a phone, right, without having this immersive uh, headset and, and that. Google Maps Trex is an example of that. So I think we'll uh, kind of close out the show. Uh, Wes Fryer, you can find me on Twitter at WFryer. Blog is speedofcreativity.org. And I am uh, loving the chance to get to do my homework each week so I'm able to hopefully speak somewhat intelligently with Jason as we analyze and break down the week's news and would love to have any feedback that you would have. So you can tweet at me at W Fryer. Uh, again, a shout out for our Google Camp OKC, which you can find with that handle on Twitter and also on the web. So Jason, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tech Savvy Teach, where I try to share uh, 10, 15, 20 links a week of things I'm reading, usually technology-related and occasion-related to my classroom subject, which was indeed social studies. I'm also the NCC Tech Savvy Administrator in Residence, which means that I, I do offer professional development through NCCE, and I write on the NCC Tech Savvy Teacher blog, blog.ncc.org. This here is the Educational Technology Situation Room, which is available every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Central. And I was going to write down the UTC thing. I think it's 3 a.m., 4 a.m. UTC, whatever it is, in the middle of the night, the rest of the earth. So you can join us here live, and we do have a chat room that oftentimes contains uh, uh, multiple people having uh, a conversation both with the host and one another, or you can download us wherever finer podcasts are aggregated, which includes the iTunes podcast library, a Stitcher radio. Uh, we're now available on the Google Play podcast uh, app as well. And my understanding, although um, I've not checked this myself, we're also available on the Spotify podcast list. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you're likely to find us, or you can just watch the YouTube video archive or download the super tiny 32-bit um, uh, audio files at our website at techsr.com. So we hope to see you here on a future episode. And in the meantime, have a great week.